It's a Texas contest for U.S. Congress that may add up to more than a single congressional seat. That race and why the stakes are so high today on the Texas Standard. Texas Standard is a production of KUT Austin, KERA North Texas, Houston Public Media, and Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. With support from Rand Group, software delivered as promised. No surprises. I'm David Brown. Signs, signs everywhere. Signs, a conspicuous number of Texas front yards enlisted in the 2018 midterms. Signs of the times, you might say, but do political yard signs move the needle? We'll take a closer look. Also, a PolitiFact check from the Texas Senate contest and General Motors calls for the federal government to issue its first zero emission standards. Should truck huggers across Texas tremble? Fasten your seatbelts. The standard gets rolling right after this. No matter where you are, it's Texas Standard Time with this Halloween. It's a treat to share a bit of time with all y'all on this October 31st. Taking a look at the Texas weather radar... Ooh, this has got to be a trick, right? Sorry, kids. Across most of the Lone Star State tonight, the probability of rain 75% or greater. Slightly better south of a line from Van Horn to Corpus Christi. Better take an umbrella along with that flashlight and goodie bag just in case. Scary situation for Republicans right now in a congressional race that's received far less attention than that Senate contest so many people have been focused on. But this congressional race could add up to more than just one seat. Usually, Abby Livingston reports from Washington, D.C., where she's bureau chief for the Texas Tribune, but she'd been back in Texas for the past several days and landed in once-reliably red Richardson, Texas, where, Abby, you spotted, as I understand it, a Georgia Democrat making the rounds. Is that right? Well, it's hard not to notice this particular member of Congress. Uh, It was John Lewis, the civil rights hero, organizer of the March on Washington and close friend and ally of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so um, that Congressman Lewis came to Dallas, and I didn't realize it when I wrote the story. He also spent um, Sunday in Houston with congressional candidate Lizzie Fletcher, that he was out there campaigning for Colin Allred. Was it, it means many things, but what it means to a Capitol Hill reporter like me is that this race is absolutely top tier important to national Democrats because there is no person who can make the case for the party who is a member of Congress better than John Lewis. Now, we should point out Colin Allred is in what you describe as a dogfight against a longtime Republican congressman whose name is rather familiar to a lot of Texans. Yes, it's uh, Pete Sessions. Um, He's one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, House member from Texas. He's chairman of the Rules Committee, which sounds kind of boring, but it's the sort of clearing house of all major pieces of legislation before it hits the floor. And uh, he's known to have ambitions to run for conference-wide leadership, and he is in real political trouble. In fact, it's not just Allred here who's been bringing out the, the big names. If you look at uh, at the folks that Pete Sessions has had has been campaigning with, I mean, Paul Ryan, <laughs> Vice President Pence, uh, th- there's some pretty big names here. Yeah, it's. I think two things are going on. One, they want to help Pete Sessions. Uh, two, this district encompasses Highland Park, Preston Wood. These are some of the biggest donors in Texas, so it's an obvious place to fundraise. Uh, if you want to bring in money to the National Party beyond just Pete Sessions. But it's a huge draw for Sessions. And for for months, we've just seen a succession of National Republicans come in and help him. And so it's it's a really busy place in a way that Dallas hasn't been in a very long time. But, you know, let's pull back the camera here, because as you note, I mean, as as the headline to your story in the Texas Tribune notes, 
This isn't just about one congressional seat. Pete Sessions, as you write, is no mere pawn in this three-dimensional chess game for control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Absolutely. So in in sort of the hierarchy of um, Capitol Hill, Congressman Sessions is a chairman. He's a very powerful chairman. He raises a lot of money. He was also in charge of the 2010 and 2012 campaign efforts for House Republicans. And so there is a little bit of a prize of taking down a chairman for the other party, which is something we saw in 2010 with the Democrats. And so this is a big deal nationally. And it is just an incredible, I mean, I can't even, nobody even bothered to run against Pete Sessions last year on the Democratic side or last cycle. So this is just an extraordinary race that I never imagined would come. When, when Democrats first said they were going to go after the Sessions seat, I was a little skeptical, like really? And I mean, they have spent millions on this race. They were serious about it. But there have been other signs that something was happening in this area. Isn't this the same area that uh, I think Hillary Clinton uh, won in uh, 2016? Yes, that is the absolute starting point of this race was 2016 election night when when Clinton carried this race or this district very narrowly that was the sign that Democrats were going to go for this seat. Um, whether that was just sort of a sugar high or a fluke of 2016 with Trump, um, I mean, the polling has indicated this is pretty tight. But I think once voters vote and we see how things shake out, um, I mean, I, I think what is fair to say is we are seeing a realignment all over the country of districts. So this district is competitive, but Congressman Will Hurd's district is, which is usually the hottest race in the state from San Antonio to El Paso. That one, he's looking safer than he's ever looked before. And so we are just seeing very strange shifts and things happening on the ground that um, have been highly unpredictable. The road to Republicans hanging on to the U.S. House of Representatives or Democrats taking it over runs right through Texas's 32nd district. So writes Abby Livingston, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Texas Tribune. We'll have a link to her latest at TexasStandard.org. Abby, thanks so much. Thank you. This political season in Texas, yard signs have been at the center of stories that sound, uh, well, straight out of the onion, really. There's the couple who turned their front lawn into a giant hand-painted Beto O'Rourke sign or the anti-Brett Kavanaugh sign in Hamilton that police threatened to confiscate after Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller posted about it on Facebook. Google it. Today, as part of our coverage, Texas Decides, statewide coordinating editor Rachel Osier Rachel Lindley explores a listener's question that you might call a sign of the times. Today's question, or subject really, comes from Bud Sturgis of Amarillo. I'm an author and a lay chaplain, which basically means I'm a preacher and minister without a seminary degree. He's also a faithful pedestrian. And he's growing out his beard. That's an important detail, because he says in its half-grown-out state, well, his beard looks kind of crazy. I have to walk through a lot of residential neighborhoods, and in doing so, I make sure to walk very calmly and at a deliberate pace. Because of the way I look, I don't want to seem like I'm rushing away from the scene of something abominable. That's given him a lot of time to take in a weedy abundance of yard signs. And he got to wondering, what's the point? No one, at least I would hope, has ever based their decision on Election Day on how impressed they were by the color scheme or the font of one candidate's sign over the other. So I think he has some justified skepticism there. Elizabeth Seamus teaches political science at the University of Houston. She says at the most basic level, yard signs are like any other type of advertising. But... 
the literature is kind of mixed on the effectiveness of campaign signs. And I think that what people would say the effectiveness more is activation rather than persuasion. That's what people with boots on the ground would tell you, too. Like Kim Moody. I live in Denton, Texas, and I'm a Republican precinct chair. As part of her precinct chair duties, Moody distributes literature and yard signs for candidates like Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott. It just brings attention to people in the general population. Hey, we're getting close to election time. See what you can find out and go vote. Moody thinks yard signs activation role is strongest during the primaries when people are looking within their own party. During the general election season like we are in right now, you have party against party. People who choose, you know, to put them in your yard have already made a decision. They are committed to a candidate and they're showing that to everyone around them. Our question asker, Bud Sturgis, thinks that too, but he's a bit more cynical. I can come to no other conclusion that the only reason one puts up a sign bearing their candidate's name is to be obnoxious. Professor Elizabeth Seamus says, yeah, that's probably some people's motivation, but it's a lot more complicated. It's an interesting form of participation because it is so public. Voting is private. So is writing a check. But a yard sign? That's really putting it out there. There is a particular subset of people who are more inclined to do that than others. Seamus says that has to do with how concerned people are about what others think of them, regardless of how passionate they are about their political convictions. People who are high on self-monitoring or people who may be more concerned about, well, what, what would my neighbors think if they don't like this? Um, they're going to be less likely to put those signs out. And what did the yard sign havers of Texas have to say about all this? I decided to ask someone with a big Joanna Cadenac for State House sign in his East Dallas yard. His name's Robert Ackerman. And, and what do you do, Robert? What, well, I, I sing. I sing at nursing homes. You're actually uh, holding a guitar right now when I knocked on your door. I am. I'm practicing. He's not too worried about bugging his neighbors and feels like he can make a difference in a simple way. People ask us to put up signs. We're, we're on a good thoroughfare to the school. There's a line of traffic every morning. Candidates that, that know us ask if we'll put a sign in the yard, and sometimes we do. And in this case, they gave us a really big one. Even he doesn't think signs change minds, but says maybe they'll get someone to consider some down-ballot races they hadn't really thought about before. So it seems yard signs work. It just depends on what your definition of work is. If it's activating voters, raising awareness, sending messages to your neighbors, or trying to get under their skin, it's all of the above. Kim Moody, the precinct chair in Denton, says people are complicated, and you can never really know what might get a few more of them to the polls. You know, we've seen in the last few election cycles that some races are really close. Maybe in some races, yard signs do work or make a difference. At the very least, you'll give someone walking by, maybe trying to grow out their beard, something to ponder as they pass. For the Texas Standard, I'm Rachel Ozier Lindley in Dallas. Let's find out what Texans are talking about on this October 31st. Social media editor Wells Dunbar. Hi, David. Yeah, we're continuing to hear about the deployment of troops to the border. USA Today noted one astounding figure today. The 5,200 troops being deployed are equal to the number in Iraq and doesn't even take into account some 2,000 National Guard troops already at the border. Mm -hmm. On our Facebook page, Alexis Sham laments that this is mainly due to the movement of the so-called migrant caravan, which the president has continually vilified. Alexis writes... 
people walking thousands of miles in the hope of having a better life is how America became such a great country. We need to treat these individuals as people with dignity and respect. And I would add, David, that that comment really inspiring lots of several heated replies Mm -hmm. showing how personal uh, this is for many. I'd also note that as long as we're talking about border and immigration issues, we highlight those issues in this week's Texas Standard newsletter. I was wondering if you'd mention that. Just went out. Yeah, folks can sign up for our newsletter letter delivered every Wednesday, and you can do that sign up right there at texasstandard.org. So, you know, October 31st, what's that? Oh, yeah. How I think there is a little something that's yes. happening tonight if it's not rained out. If I mean, it's not rained out, well, seriously. You know, I think our kids wouldn't let that happen. Uh, they're they're going to go out anyway. Yeah, boot up the scary a... movies, or yeah, just brave the elements, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, your mind's not playing tricks on you. Today is Halloween, and we're hearing from folks all about their All Hallows' Eve plans, and Including pictures. That's what I really I'd love. I'd like to see pics some pictures. Stuff. Yeah. So I'll be back with those reactions and more spooky stuff. Speaking of spooky <laughs> stuff, that's quite a shirt you've got on there. Oh, you need yes. to take a picture of that and put it on we Facebook. Will. That's a very special <laughs> shirt. All right. Tweet us your pics at Texas Standard. Support for Texas Standard comes from TCU, where horned frogs strive to be ethical leaders and global citizens, like Mike Slattery, who empowers students to save the world's remaining rhinos. More at leadon.tcu.edu. TCU, lead on. Hey, it's Texas Standard Time on a wetter than wished for Halloween across Texas. I'm David Brown. Great to have you with us. The Fort Worth City Council on Tuesday approved an incentive package that's designed to attract wholesale grocer McLean Company. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reports McLean is expected to invest about $18 million in construction and, they say, employ 550 full-time workers. Fort Worth beat out Arkansas and Oklahoma for the contract. Now, if you've been following the news over the past several months, you may be aware that ever since Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself from the investigation over alleged ties between Russia and the Trump campaign in the 2016 elections, the former Alabama senator has been on the outs with the Oval Office, and that's putting it mildly. Well, now hear this. There are published reports of a potential post-election shakeup in the Trump administration, one in which Attorney General Sessions might, might be saying goodbye voluntarily or perhaps not so much. If he goes, a strong contender to succeed him is a certain Northeast Texas congressman. KETR's Scott Morgan reports. One of the names making the rounds as a possible replacement for Sessions is District 4 Congressman John Ratcliffe. On Sunday, Politico floated the Texas Republican's name as a lead candidate. Ratcliffe is a former U.S. attorney who served that office at the same time as Sessions. Last November, Radcliffe questioned Sessions in Washington on the ethics of the Department of Justice as they relate to the Russia investigations. So more than anything else, what I'm asking from you is that you are committed to go wherever the facts and evidence lead you. I am, and the Department of Justice is. Ratcliffe is the chair of the House Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Protection Committee. He recently stated to KETR that cybersecurity matters, such as emails and texts, have been at the fore of the investigations. Ratcliffe is running for re-election in the heavily red 4th Congressional District in Northeast Texas. He's been an unwavering Trump ally since the beginning. Ratcliffe's office has not commented publicly. In Commerce, I'm Scott Morgan. Support for coverage of business on Texas Standard comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider, ensuring compassionate care for injuries of every size at businesses big and small. Learn more at WorkSafeTexas.com. And you are listening to the Texas Standard.
Skeeters, a.k.a. mosquitoes, are pestilent, though practically year-round part of life in Texas. There are dozens of species in the state, and while a bite from most won't produce anything but an annoying, itchy bump, some can carry terrible diseases, including West Nile. In today's Spotlight on Health, Margaret Nicholas takes a look at new ways researchers are approaching the challenge of preventing mosquito-borne illnesses. On any given day between May and November, Bethany Bowling and her team of microbiologists at the Texas Department of State Health Services Laboratory in Austin can be found sorting and sucking up mosquitoes for testing. The Culex species we test for West Nile virus, St. Louis encephalitis virus, and Western equine encephalitis virus. And then our 80 species mosquitoes we test for Zika virus, chikungunya virus, and the dengue viruses. And once we do the testing, if we detect any positive or virus-positive mosquito pools, then we call the local jurisdiction that sent us those mosquitoes, and we let them know there's virus activity in their area. The state lab tests thousands of samples each year. The process takes several days as staff sort the mosquitoes by gender and species. Only female mosquitoes drink blood, so only they can spread disease. Those that will be tested are ground up and then run through sophisticated devices that can detect viruses at the molecular level. If a mosquito pool is positive, local health departments are notified. Bowling says they can then take actions to treat infected areas and warn the public. We provide this service, uh, this testing service, free of charge to our submitters. All they have to do is have the resources to set out traps and ship us the mosquitoes. Less than 20% of Texas counties and just a handful of cities submit mosquito samples. Many jurisdictions just don't have the budgets to allow for the trained staff and equipment needed for the job of mosquito surveillance. Some may believe it's not cost-effective, given that only a handful of samples generally test positive. In 2017, the state lab tested more than 22,000 pools. Less than 1% of those pools 132, tested positive for West Nile. But what if there were a way to pinpoint and target the most likely areas for the disease? That's the idea behind a project now underway in Harris County. It's a collaboration between Harris County, the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, and ExxonMobil's philanthropic arm known as the ExxonMobil Foundation. Melissa Nolan helped spark the idea. She's now with the University of South Carolina, but was a researcher at Baylor when she struck up a conversation with the medical director for ExxonMobil and others at an awards dinner in 2017. And so we were sitting around talking about, you know, why it's so hard to control for malaria and some of the different components of that. And the concept of being able to prioritize and identify the most impactful areas that mosquitoes could be breeding came up. The conversation turned to a technology Exxon uses to evaluate environmental impact of its activities and find new drill sites, called remote sensing. It turns out remote sensing utilizes satellite imagery that is of such high resolution it can tell users about small items on the ground like tires and bird baths, as well as larger land features like ditches that may be inviting to mosquitoes for breeding. It's some really powerful imagery. It's um, a multi-band imagery, so we have uh, not only visible uh, light spectrum, but also infrared. So it allows us to gather information about vegetation and water on the surface of the Earth. 
Sarah Gunter is a vector-borne disease expert and a current member of the team working with the technology at the Baylor College of Medicine. Using high-resolution images of the area and information about the habits of different types of mosquitoes, she and several team members have developed a preliminary predictive model of hot spots in the county where Culex and 80s mosquitoes might likely be found. That's where Harris County Vector Control comes in. Mustafa Daban is the director of Harris County Mosquito and Vector Control. We collected and sampled throughout the summer, from June until the end of September. That was our goal, I mean, our function, was that to do the trapping and the collection of mosquitoes, and of course to identify the mosquitoes when you bring them to the lab. Devon says the data is still being analyzed, and there will be at least one more round of testing to validate the model next summer. But he has high hopes for the kind of impact this method could have in the future. We're creating an innovative, evidence-based method to target uh, abatement efforts to have promise to ultimately reduce the burden of mosquito-borne diseases locally, nationally, and globally. And the method is relatively low cost and highly transferable, meaning it could be used to target habitats of other disease-carrying insects. Yeah, that's another one of our long-term goals is to, to expand this beyond just these species of mosquitoes that are transmitting diseases of human importance in, in um, Texas and in the southern U.S. to look at maybe other species of mosquitoes that are important vectors throughout the world as well as other um, vectors of disease, things like um, ticks or kissing bugs or sand flies. The technology may give us reason to be optimistic that many vector-borne diseases could be better managed in the years to come. But for now, put on that insect repellent, wear clothes that cover your arms and legs, and stay away from places where mosquitoes or other disease-infected insects may be lurking. I'm Margaret Nicholas for the Texas Standard. Happy to stay away from mosquitoes. Coming up on 29 minutes past the hour, Texas Standard Time, the Texas Roundup is coming up next. Stay with us. Support for Texas Standard comes from Rand Group, providing NetSuite ERP solutions built in the cloud. More at softwareaspromised.com. From the Texas Standard Newsroom, I'm Becky Fogel with a roundup of news from across the state. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is backing President Donald Trump's proposal to end birthright citizenship for children born in the U.S. to people who are not citizens. Paxton spoke on Fox News Channel Tuesday. Our immigration policy is a mess. Congress has failed to address it. Uh, I hope this is something that I think most Americans find unacceptable, that you, you create an incentive for somebody to cross the border, have a baby, and suddenly they're a citizen. Another Texas Republican, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, has also long supported ending birthright citizenship. Both Paxton and Cruz are running for re-election, and both are facing Democratic opponents. Justin Nelson, who is running against Paxton, and Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who is challenging Cruz, both oppose ending birthright citizenship. Early voting runs through Friday. Election Day is November 6. 
More than 5,000 American troops are being deployed to the U.S.-Mexico border this week ahead of the midterm elections. The Trump administration is sending active duty military in response to a caravan of Central American migrants seeking refuge in the United States. Some people who live along the border say sending in troops is not the best use of resources. Monica Weisberg-Stewart, who chairs the Texas Border Coalition's Immigration and Border Security Committee, says these kinds of actions get frustrating for people living on the border. We go to Washington, we testify. We go to Austin, we testify. We actually explain the realities of the border. But the truth of this whole problem is the inaction of Congress in Washington, not passing the laws in order to truly secure our country. And what I mean by that is that without true immigration reform, we will never have border security. Weisberg Stewart adds that if ports of entry end up being inaccessible for trade, Americans will pay the price. So to make it really simple for an individual to understand, that avocado that you might be paying a dollar for, you plan on paying $10, $15, $20 for because those goods are not coming over here. The Texas Tribune reports that if the military buildup slows down trade, Texas is the state that would take the hardest hit. A new report says the quality of child care and parents' access to it in Texas are inadequate. Shay Everett is with Children at Risk, which released the report. She says the quality of pre-K and daycare has a long-term impact on children, even more so than other support programs in high school. By then, you are putting a Band-Aid on an open wound, right? Like you are trying to triage something that needs stitches with a Band-Aid. Really, you could prevent that. The report says only 18 percent of eligible child care facilities in Texas have received state certification for exceeding the minimum requirements for having a license. That's look at news from across the state. I'm Becky Fogel for the Texas Standard. Support for these Texas Standard headlines comes from the Texas Secretary of State, providing voters details on required identification for voting in person at the polls. More at votetexas.gov or 800-252-VOTE. 33 minutes past the hour, Texas Standard Time. I'm David Brown. Great to have you with us on this Halloween. Given a choice, many businesses might rather not be subject to government regulation. Take America's automakers, who've resisted the tightening of federal mileage and emission rules for years, claiming those laws make it tougher to sell cars. But now, no less a player in the market than General Motors says it wants the government to adopt higher national mileage standards and create a national zero-emissions vehicle policy. What's really behind this? Michelin Maynard runs the crowdfunded journalism project Curbing Cars, and she is a veteran reporter on uh, the auto industry. She's a former Detroit bureau chief for the New York Times, among other uh, publications. Micheline, welcome back to the Texas Standard. I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you. Is GM getting out of the gasoline-powered vehicle business? This is quite a surprise announcement they've uh, they've made. It's an interesting announcement, but you all should not worry that you can't get pickup trucks and SUVs anytime <laughs> in the future. Um, that is still going to be the bulk of GM's business and the other American car makers. Well, what ex- exactly is, the, is it that GM is proposing here? So what General Motors is really talking about is the electric vehicle portion of the market. So as you may know, General Motors had a hybrid electric vehicle called the Volt, and now it has an actual electric vehicle called the Bolt with a B. Um, General Motors has made a real commitment to producing more electric vehicles, which it'll sell not only in the United States, but around the world. It actually has to comply with California's zero emission vehicles, Mm -hmm. which are also shared by nine other states. So it's going to have to do this anyway. 
what General Motors really wants is a national electric vehicle standard, and that's what it's going after in this proposal. When it says national electric vehicle standard, what's the template here, and how, how far are they pushing this? So you're talking about percentage of sales. Um, General Motors basically says that by 2026, it plans to sell a million zero-emission vehicles by 2026. Okay. So what General Motors is saying is let's have a percentage that the United States will sell for zero-emission vehicles, or just call them electric cars if you want to. Um, essentially, it's saying let's have a sales rate of about 5% of the market by 2025. But the California standards already call for 8% of the market. So that's the little secret here. GM wants a national standard that's lower than what it's going to have to meet in California. You know, it's interesting. I've been taking a look at some of the forums for uh, electric and hybrid car enthusiasts. And they're calling this greenwashing. Uh, the website <laughs> Electric, you're, you're chuckling. Uh, the website Electric, which is a, an advocate for zero emission vehicles, says uh, they have some <clears throat> uh, cojones to say that it's time for American leadership in zero emission vehicles. Tesla delivered more EVs than any other automaker last quarter. Seven million long range electric vehicles by 2030. Tesla alone will likely deliver that without any mandates from the government. Are they onto mm -hmm. something here? Well, I think General Motors is actually proposing something. And if you think about where we were three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, you could have never imagined a company like General Motors proposing anything like this. So we have come an enormous way in terms of environmental awareness on the part of a major U.S. automaker. Now, is it greenwashing? Well, it certainly, certainly looks maybe more stringent than it really is, but it is something, and I have to give them a lot of credit for that. What about other car makers? I mean, would this give General Motors an advantage uh, if, uh, in fact, the Trump administration were to adopt the proposal that GM's come out with? Well, I think, first of all, that is the big question. Um, the Trump administration is proposing to freeze fuel economy and emission standards, so nothing may happen at all. But it, make, it does give General Motors one kind of advantage in that it's leading the conversation on all this. You know, we've had Tesla for quite a while, but Tesla's not in a position to um, lead a conversation on electric vehicles. They're just not simply a large enough car company. Um, I think Ford and the UAW have opposed the freeze that the Trump administration is talking about and... Um, Chrysler wants them to revise the Obama rules that were going to um, cause higher fuel economy standards. But you know, GM's the one that's grabbed electric vehicles and gotten out ahead. Michelin Maynard is an author, journalist, and educator. She edits CurbingCars.com, which looks at the future of transportation. Mickey, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us on the Texas Standard. Good to speak with you again. My pleasure. Thank you. So, I mean, just wild guess. What do you think the top costume of 2018 is going to be? Huh? We're going to be hitting the Wayback button on the time machine in just a minute, reviewing some of the top costumes from the past 50 years. No joke. And then we'll find out what may be happening this year. Standard continues 39 minutes past the hour. Support for Texas Standard comes from Great Texas Line Press, publisher of W.F. Strong's Stories from Texas. Some of them are true. 
at independent booksellers like River Oaks, The Twig, and Book People, as well as Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and Bucky's. This is the Texas Standard. I'm David Brown. Most popular costume in 1968, Casper the Friendly Ghost. In 72, it was The Godfather. Princess Leia took the costume crown in 77. Marty McFly in 1985. 1989 saw kids dressing up as Batman. 96 was the Scream Guy. Spider-Man in 2003, the V for Vendetta mask was tops for Halloween 2006. Katniss from The Hunger Games... Top costume for 2012, Harley Quinn in 2015, and what's hot for 2018? Brian Kirkpatrick of Texas Public Radio paid a visit to Starline Costumes, one of San Antonio's oldest and largest costume shops. Julie Keck is the owner of the costume shop. She's dressed up kids and adults for 45 years. Her store also designed the Spurs Coyote and the Mission's Puffy Taco, and it recently helped with costumes for a Texas history documentary. She says this year's costume favorites are not inspired by superhero movies, but rather scary movies and video games. Well, Michael Myers resurged back, which is fun. And The Nun, it seems, and also we get a lot of calls for Fortnite. Everybody seems to be looking for um, games, game, video games, characters this year. Keck says the nun costume was inspired by the Conjuring horror movies. Ramiro Matamayor, a performer at SeaWorld, was browsing the shop for that scary nun costume. I think the nun stuff is really popular, and also another costume that's really popular, like Fortnite people. Abby Amick, who sells medical equipment, was going retro this year. We found her putting together a Cinderella outfit. I like to do it because I'm, I'm a goofball, so I like to just make people laugh, and I think it does that. Every day. I think I would dress up every day if I had the opportunity, but I can't. <laughs> Other retro characters popular this year include the international man of mystery, Austin Powers, and this singer we just can't seem to forget. Music, video games, and movies are not the only sources of inspiration. As the HBO series Game of Thrones nears the end, its characters are popular this season, too. This year's Halloween lands in the middle of early voting for the midterm elections. But Keck says don't expect to see masks of Senate candidates Ted Cruz or Beto O'Rourke or anyone else. Not even President Trump. She says political masks are not hot this year. We want to have fun. Yeah, it's not a don't want any heavy during Halloween. In San Antonio, I'm Brian Kirkpatrick for the Texas Standard. Support for Texas Standard comes from the Texas Tuition Promise Fund and the Texas College Savings Plan, administered by the state of Texas, offering a pair of plans that can help families save toward college dreams. More at savenowforcollege.org. There's a Mexican legend that's at least 500 years old about a crying woman named La Llorona. It's no doubt arrived in Texas with the earliest Mexican settlers, and ever since this ghostly figure has haunted our rivers, lakes, and streams, particularly in the borderlands. There are dozens of versions of her story, but commentator W.F. Strong appears to have a favorite. La Llorona was a poor girl in a small village. She was extraordinarily beautiful with raven black hair and large almond eyes. One day when she was getting water from the town well, a handsome man on a fine horse rode up and asked her for a drink. 
She had never seen such a perfect man or felt so wonderfully nervous in the presence of one before. He felt the same way about her. They fell in love on the spot. He couldn't marry her, though, because she was a poor village girl, and he was from the richest, most prominent family in the region. But he couldn't live without her, either. So he bought her a big home and showered her with jewelry and gifts and gave her two children. He came to visit often and adored playing with their children. It wasn't perfect, but she was happy because she loved him so much. After a few years, a period of time came when he didn't visit at all. She was worried about him and did something she had never done. She went to the big city to visit his mansion to see what was wrong. When she arrived, she quietly asked a servant if he was there. And the servant said, Oh, no, today he is getting married to a famous princess from Spain. La Llorona was so angry that she wanted to do something to hurt him. In that jealous rage, she went straight home and took their two children to the river and drowned them. When she regained her sanity, she was plunged into such despair over what she had done that she died of grief right there on the riverbank. As she attempted to enter the afterlife, an angel asked her where her children were. She said she didn't know. She was told she must find them before she could rest. So she was forced back to earth and condemned to wander rivers and lakes and streams, looking for her children forever. If you go out near water at night, you will sometimes hear her crying, they say. Mis hijos, mis hijos, my children, she says. They say if she sounds near, she is really far away. But if she sounds far away, she is very near you. Those who've seen her say that she wears a moldy shroud and has jet black hair, but no nose and no mouth, only luminous violet eyes that are horrifyingly red-streaked from her eternal crying. If you see her thrashing around in the middle of a creek or a river, don't go in to try to save her because she will drown you. You should also never let your children stay out late near a river or creek or lake or even a backyard swimming pool because La Llorona may think they are her children and steal them away from you. So La Llorona is a legend, a cautionary tale, and a boogeyman, a kukui, all in one. Particularly Hispanic moms have used her to enforce good behavior for centuries. Come inside now or La Llorona will get you. You come straight home from David's house, don't wander. La Llorona is always looking for lost children. And some even say that La Llorona makes children respect their mothers. She has appeared to children who have left their houses angrily, saying bad things to their mothers as they left. And La Llorona finds them walking in the dark and says, I'll let you go this time, but go back to your mother and be good to her. Excellent advice for Halloween and all other days of the year. I'm W.F. Strong. These are stories from Texas via Mexico. Some of them are true. W.F. Strong is a Fulbright scholar and professor of culture and communication at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. His stories from Texas are available at texasstandard.org, on iTunes, or wherever finer podcasts are served. Coming up on 48 Minutes Past the Hour. 
Support comes from Texas Children's Hospital, focused on outcomes and care, and providing treatment to kids in the Lone Star State and beyond for more than 60 years. Texas Children's Hospital, personalized care for every child. More at texaschildrens.org. Governor Greg Abbott has requested a presidential disaster declaration for Texas counties that were damaged by severe weather and flooding earlier this month. Austin American Statesman reporting that the request names eight counties seeking individual assistance, meaning homeowners and businesses in those regions would be able to apply for FEMA funds to repair their damaged properties. It also asks for public assistance for 24 counties, which means that Local governments in those areas would be eligible to get FEMA funds to repair their damaged infrastructure. It's a story we're tracking here at The Standard. You are listening to The Texas Standard. I'm David Brown. President Donald Trump told supporters in Texas that Democrat Beto O'Rourke, quote, voted to shield MS-13 gang members from deportation. Was Trump right about O'Rourke casting such a vote? Back with us, Gardner Selby on behalf of the fact-checking PolitiFact Texas project based at the Austin American Statesman. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Uh, how did the president come to make this claim here in Texas? You're going to remember Trump rallied voters in Houston uh, to support Senator Ted Cruz and other Republicans. I think it was the night of October 22. I do remember indeed. In his remarks, Trump called O'Rourke, who's the Democratic U.S. House member from El Paso, who most everyone should know by now, he's challenging Cruz. This is what Trump called him, a phony and a radical open borders left winger. O'Rourke opposes the border long wall promised by uh, President Trump. Well, and at that rally, Trump also leveled the claim that drew our attention. Want to listen in? Let's. He voted against Kate's law and he voted for Obama amnesty. Amnesty. Obama amnesty. O'Rourke even voted to shield MS-13 gang members from deportation. He doesn't want to deport them. He says they're people. They're people. They carve you up with a knife, but they're people. Now, we didn't get into verifying that carve up with a knife part of uh, Trump's critique. Uh, we focused on the vote. Yeah. Uh, but did O'Rourke indeed vote to shield gang members from deportation, as he says? Uh, you got to say MS-13 gang members. That's uh -huh. what Trump specified. Okay. Well, let's pause there. MS-13 refers to what specifically? That's a violent transnational gang, which the government says uh, lately includes some 10,000 members living in 40 U.S. states. Now, the New York Times has reported that those members are concentrated in Los Angeles, New York, and the region outside Washington, D.C. Another 30,000 members live in Mexico and Central America. Okay. Now, what exactly was O'Rourke's vote? For starters, we did not draw details on that from the White House. No backup. But a web search led us to learn that the House in 2017 last year voted mostly along party lines to send the Senate a measure related to deporting criminal gang members from the United States. Now, most Democrats, including O'Rourke, voted no. They voted against the proposal. What, what, well, what, now, what did the vote have to do with shielding gang members from deportation? We wondered. We went and read it. It's the House advanced, I'm going to give you the name here, the Criminal Alien Gang Member Removal Act. Mm -hmm. It authorizes officials, in part, to start deportation proceedings against someone in the country who's believed 
to be a member of a violent gang on those grounds. Mm -hmm. Now, even before the House voted, the White House issued a statement of support. Now, under this proposal, uh, deportation uh, could start, what, regardless of whether someone is actually charged with a crime? That's what it looks like to us, yes. Hmm. So why did O'Rourke and others vote no? Opponents said that if this makes it into law, and we should say here that the Senate has not acted on it, okay. it could open the way to mass deportations of all kinds of people, including innocents who get designated uh, rapidly, uh, suddenly, as suspected gang members. I see. Okay. Now, now clear something up for me. Did the House actually have an affirmative vote? I mean, that, that's that's hard to imagine, to, 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 to shield violent gang members from deportation. We didn't find one. And, the, and in the big picture, we heard back from Chris Evans of O'Rourke's campaign and also a Cato Institute expert. His name is David Beer. Uh -huh. Each said existing law fully enables such deportations uh, once there's a criminal violation. Now, Beer right. suggested, too, this is the fellow from Cato. Right. He suggested there's significance in this debate. In the absence of stories about MS-13 gang members, the government can't currently deport without a change in law. Now, his point, if there was a problem, if there were examples, mm -hmm. we'd be hearing about them. Okay, so all told, how did this Trump claim fare on the PolitiFact Texas Truth-O-Meter? Editors saw an element of truth. O'Rourke did vote against a proposal that was intended to ease deportations of violent gang members. Okay. However, there's no sign of his backing any move to shield such members from being removed from the country. The rating? Mostly false. Mostly false. That's PolitiFact Texas's ruling on President Trump's claim that Beto O'Rourke voted to shield MS-13 members from deportation. Gardner Selby is with PolitiFact Texas. Gardner, thanks so much for dropping by. Good to be here. And we'll see you next week. You bet. And you are listening to the Texas Standard. We've got uh, Wells Dunbar, our social media editor, back in the studio. He's uh, got the talk of Texas in his hands there, I see. I've got the whole talk of Texas in my hands, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So many spooky hashtags out there, David, but maybe this is the creepiest. Elections 2018. Ooh. <laughs> it's trending. And it could be pretty creepy, depending on uh, your uh, opinions on how that's going to shake out. Yeah. You know, just uh, continuing to monitor the, the uh, impressive turnout we've seen across the state. And I just reiterate that if you're one of the oh, dozens or so of people People who have not voted yet, you can still go to Texas oh, Standard. Oh, that's not a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you can go to TexasStandard.org and check out our nonpartisan voting guide as part of our Texas Decides project mm -hmm. in tandem with the League of Women Voters, where we have a nonpartisan guide personalized down to your district. You know, I always find it really helpful. you got to have the sample ballot yeah. before you go in there. Like a little cheat sheet. A little cheat sheet, for can sure. Can you bring it in to the vote? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I not, believe so. Don't put it on your phone, because they don't like yeah, you, you playing with your the telephone phone. there. In the, but you but, can have a cheat sheet. And, and I always get all turned around on all those like you know down ballot races yeah, and stuff sure, that sure. Uh, really make up like the bulk good of the idea ballot. so texasstandard.org uh, check it. it out and you can find our texas decides voting guide there okay let's get to it halloween is here october 31st and yeah as you were noting david lots of folks a little nervous about the weather tonight gonna interfere with some plans it seems like on our facebook page karen alfaro says she's gonna ha try to have fun although there is rain coming to the houston area and pamela price says her family tradition is trick-or-treating and a visit to a local harvest festival just hoping that the weather cooperates yeah and it really yeah it's like uh, you know here in central texas i think yeah the worst is expected like six to eight you know prime time 
Yeah, so that's terrific. That's just really great. Because <laughs> I'm going to be escorting a couple of groups of kids tonight, yeah. right? And so we'll be caught right there in the middle you of gotta, it. You got Are you dressing up, David? Uh, well, you know, my go-to is usually Ace Freely. Right. But I don't think I'm going to do Star it this Man. year because the makeup will start to come oh, off. Gosh. Of it. You know what I'm saying? That'll be really pretty awful. <laughs> that would yeah. be a true Halloween How about you? Horror. Are you going to do this? Well, uh, yeah, we're doing, you know, I'm never really one for like the whole uh, group thing, but uh, my son is really into Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. So he is shaggy. Right. Uh, which is a pretty easy costume uh, and, and an awesome one. Uh, and so I'm going to be Scooby. Oh, I'm going to be great. the big dog. You got the head and the whole deal? I got like what? a mask and I got like a brown bodysuit. Uh, not the best fitting thing. Probably the reason I didn't bring it It'll into work. the office. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, that's going to be fun. And my lovely wife and daughter, they're going to be a pair of witches. Oh, so cool. we'll be like on the run from them going, Zoinks! And I've been working on my Scooby Scooby voice the whole Zoinks. time. Zoinks! roll <laughs> I don't know. Okay, moving <laughs> <That's>, quite along. <laughs> yeah, that's one for the year-end reel, folks. We'll have to save that one. Well, we are hearing from folks uh, about their plans that don't involve venturing out. Angela Bonilla says she's going to finish watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I started watching that last the night. The Teenage it's, Witch. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a creepier uh, reboot in the vein of Riverdale. On the oh, CW. yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. Man, we're just uh, we're just hashing and we're just chit-chatting today. I love it. Uh, hearing from Morgan Hamilton about her costume, she says she's in her version of a Halloween outfit, black and white, with a set of black kitty ears. And I love this from Ann D. She is, uh, her kids are going to be uh, Paw Patrol and Minecraft Adventures, and she's just like, she's just got the Lego head costume there. <laughs> just another <laughs> minifigure in the box. Go figure. Keep them keep coming, Texas. We'd love to see your pictures and hear your stories from tonight. That's uh, at Texas Standard, of course, our Twitter handle. News continues at TexasStandard.org. Time's up for the big broadcast, but we'll be back here tomorrow. Hope you will, too. On behalf of the entire Texas Standard crew, I'm David Brown wishing you a wonderful Halloween. Philanthropic support for Texas Standard comes from Casey and Scott O'Hare, the Winkler Family Foundation, Lynn Dobson and Greg Waldridge, Adrian Killam, the George Huntington Family, and St. David's Foundation. Additionally, Texas Mutual Insurance Company is a founding sponsor of Texas Standard. PRI Public Radio International.